Blog Talk Radio. growing here. So I'm excited to see what we're going to talk about <laughs> this evening. Um, my name is Kim Lakin, and I'm your host this evening, and I have my beautiful co-host Penelope on with me. Oh, thank you, Kim. Hello, everybody. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, so we would love to have you join us. If you would like to call in and be a part of the panel, our guest call-in number is 646 595-2118, and Penelope will meet you on the back line and, and bring you into the studio. So, but first, we have a single purpose here at NASCA, and that is to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect, and we do so with two goals. One, by educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, also known as CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, by offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many service survivors of child abuse, and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And you can get some of that information on NASCA.org, and that is the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse, and that's N-A-A-S-C-A.org. And we'd love to have you either on the panel or joining us later. This is scan number 3103 this evening, and we don't have a guest book. Right now, but like I said, we have a, a rich panel here, and um, and I know Penelope's been talking to some of the other people on here. So, what's our plan tonight, Penelope? Do you have a plan? Well, you know, <laughs> I think I was thinking about it, Kim, and you know, you and I were talking before the show started about, you know, as adults who have the child abuse, so many of us don't really start the process of recovery 
um, and addressing those patterns until um, into our adulthood. And so in, in, you know, following some of the patterns, sometimes we, um, those are repeated and, and perhaps um, we are involved in relationships with people that don't treat us very well. And, um, and we also maybe have children that, um, you know, look at certain examples of um, patterns and those are sometimes repeated and we're not treated well by our own children. Um, and how do we um, address those patterns and, you know, uh, which creates the change and, and breaks the cycle. Um, and some of those patterns are, are difficult to, to, I think, to navigate. We're talking about that, right? Talking about taking different, in recovery, we've taken a different path. And we've had to take some, done some hard work, right, to, to, um, to address those patterns and to make changes. And so I don't know, to me, I was thinking about, about that. And that's been a lot of the work that I've been doing is, you know, changing patterns of behavior and, and, uh, and, and hoping that in, in the work that I'm doing that my children, you know, will I'll break that cycle and that, that things will be a little bit different for my own children. But anyway, that's a suggestion. I don't know what you think about that. Oh yeah. No, I, that sounds good to me. I just, I didn't know if anybody else that had called in had maybe had a suggestion or anything. So um, but yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to open up. Maybe you can go down, I don't know, maybe go down the panel. I'll open up all the lines. Um, Cause I know that we have Lori from New York. We have, and we have Bill. Um, and so maybe get their input and then we can start a discussion. But really up to you, you're the host. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm sharing that responsibility. I don't have to be in charge. <laughs> uh, here's, you know, here's what, hey, Bill. Here's what happened. Hi. Here's what happened tonight. Um, we've been struggling on certain nights to get a guest to come on, and I was, I was hoping that I could get one for tonight. And as of an hour ago, I thought I had somebody, but then they couldn't come. So we're left without a guest. And I spoke to Carol, and uh, this does happen from time to time. And I don't want to make a regular thing of it. But when it happens, rather than not do a show, um, we can simply turn it into a general discussion show for anybody at NASCA that wants to, you know, talk about whatever. And it's, it's mostly going to be, you know, keyed on uh, um, how the nonprofit works for us or not doesn't work for us or what we've learned from it or whatever. Just like Penelope said, you know, there's a lot of material here. But that's why when we don't have a guest, uh, Kim, I'm, we're just going to um, – you know, kind of do a discussion show. Now, Carol's supposed to be here, too, and also another fellow who I was speaking to this afternoon. But we already have five people. That's enough to do a panel show. <laughs> and, um, yeah. you know, that's that's the genesis of how it happened tonight, okay? Yeah. That's not a problem. We could, well, no. and when Lisa first got on and noticed before everybody else was on, Penelope and I are like, we can talk Hi, about that. Sit here and chat. Hey. <laughs> We're good That's at it. chatting. <laughs> so. That's it. So, yeah, but we were talking um, specifically. I think there's somebody in the background there. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Lori. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just putting two yeah, we were... only. Yeah, we're. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, that's good. 
um, yeah, we were talking, well, and specifically, I have those issues with my daughters. My daughters really don't act like they respect me or, you know, honor me in any way. And I do so much for them, but I want to, so it's not like I'm, you know, struggling to want to do it. I'm just struggling to feel appreciated because they just like to take advantage of me. So that's kind of where it started. Oh, well, I've got a 35-year-old and a 28-year-old. So they're old enough to know better than to treat me badly, (laughs) but they do it anyway. But they're brats. They are spoiled. They really are. They're just spoiled. And their dad is on the other end. You know, we're separated, and so he's on the other side, you know, making comments and doing what he does so well and being passive aggressive that <laughs> it kind of comes back on me. So I just he, I just decided I had to get away. Right? He's what? His health is a little better now, right? His health. Uh, oh, no. No. no? Well, I mean, okay. if he wants people to think that he treats me good, that he acts better, but um, yeah, I mean, it was for a little bit. You know, you know what, Bill, as long as my husband and I don't talk about anything important, if we just talk about dinner and the weather, then we're fine. But if anything important gets brought up, then we can't even. It's just Yeah, I get it. Hey, liar. Yeah. <laughs> And my opinion has yeah. never really mattered much. And so that's what my girls have seen throughout the years. And now that I'm decided that I have an opinion and I'm going to say my opinions at times, then they don't really like that a whole lot. It's been a struggle to understand that well, mom has kind opinions. Of and not only opinions, but that, feelings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it kind of threatens their reality, you know, that this is not who they thought mom was was you know she's changing and um, might threaten yeah. them from the space that they've had all along because you're not you're, you're being uh being mean or anything but you're you've set some limits that they don't like yeah um i'm setting so they're reacting now. yeah boundaries boundaries yeah 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 and my oldest daughter you know she she had her first two kids before my young my second daughter had hers and um, and I helped her out with those two kids as much as I've helped my second daughter now. But my first daughter is jealous because I'm not helping her as much as I used to. So, you know, it's just, they're just grown kids. Anybody else have that problem? <laughs> grown kids. Well, I had it when my daughter, <laughs> I had it when my daughter was younger. I, was, I didn't know how old your daughters were, but, you know, I, I think that most girls, I'm, I'm going to say it this way, I, I may be wrong, but in my per- perspective, <laughs> most girls go through a change around 12, 13, 14, something. Not all of them, of course. Oh, yeah. But um, oh, those mine certainly years, did. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Those are hard years. I mean, my daughter was yeah, as close as she could be close to me right up until that point. But when she came to that point, it was like a... a, a a switch got, you know, thrown, <laughs> and we yeah. never got to, we never went back. She completely changed. So, yeah, 
but she was younger than you. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Now I she's know. 33. You know, now she's 33, I think it is. Yeah, 33. Yeah, and I still continue to be there for them continuously all the time. You know, whenever they need me to babysit, I want to be, to get to know my grandkids. And so I make myself available just about any time that they call. And I've done that for 10 years, yeah. but there's there's got to be limits now. I have to set more boundaries, and, and they just don't care for that. So I'm so kind of staying really away. Easy, and, and that's the top. You know, that's that's it. It's that you 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 came to a place where you realized you had to set limits and boundaries, and when you started to do that, it changed the dynamic between you and your kids, and probably your husband too. Right. And um, yeah. And that's not. You know, that's not necessarily comfortable to them, but it's what you need, and that's okay. Right. You know, you have to set whatever boundaries, you, you know, you decide are appropriate for now. They can change later again, of course, but for right now, and they have to um, accept that or, you know, or change for themselves, you know, to fit into it. But, you know, I think you've been waiting a while to do this change. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll get oh, there yeah, eventually. No Anyone else? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So no. I don't have... Go ahead. I, no, I muted. So I, I don't know. Maybe you want to do the controls. I did mute Lori's and um, Philip's, but maybe you want to, and maybe you want to put them on live and, and maybe get their input. Um, or I can contribute, Kim. It's up to you. I had a couple thoughts yeah, I just think that's why they call it work it's so hard like Bill was saying you know when you set boundaries um, you're really changing the dialogue and um, in a sense right because you're shifting the pattern you're just setting these boundaries and and the status quo is no longer the status quo and it's, it's really hard you know especially uh, you know to stay in within that boundary that you've set but also it's hard for the people that, you know, <laughs> that, are, that are being impacted by the boundary and the change. I mean, it's changed, and that's why I think because it's hard work. Not that it's not worth it, yeah. but it is. And I always have to remind myself, you know, when you're saying this, you know, when you, when you set boundaries and you're changing, you know, um, you know, creating change, you're disrupting patterns, you're going to get a reaction. You're going to get, you know, you're going to get a reaction from those that are around you. You know, they're being affected by the change and, and are taking notice of the boundary. And I always have to remind myself, their reaction is a good thing because it means that I'm actually staying, you know, true to the new boundary that I've set. Even though it's hard, I always have to remind myself, okay, their reaction, which is normally, you know, um, palpable, <laughs> That is an indication that what I'm, the work I'm doing is working because I'm implementing the change. But it's hard. I get it. It's hard. And it's, it's especially with those that are the closest to you, when, especially your own children, you know. We want harmony because we didn't have it growing up. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, the disruption is important in order to, you know, break those patterns um, that 
you know, the, doing the work that we do. So I just wanted to say that I, it's a, it's really hard. I totally get it. Um, and B, I remind myself that, you know, their their reactivity is an indication that, you know, the work I'm doing is is taking hold, if you will. So. Yeah. I'm with you. You're not Thank alone. You. Thank you, Penelope. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah, it is. It's very easy to change, try and change dynamics. And and I know just having my, um, changing the dynamics when I was raising my family, my mom would push back on that quite a bit, you know, and say, well, why do you have to do things like that or whatever? And I'd be like, or why do you have to you know, punish the kids over that? Well, because that wasn't right, you know, and so... I remember kind of that pushback with my mom, but Mm -hmm. um, I did have this thought in my mind that I would, you know, have a super good relationship and be really good friends with my girls when we grew up. And, you know, there's still that time, hopefully, hopefully that time will come. (laughs) We're just going through a season right now. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Exactly. But you know, Lori, you know but, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> you have to Bill. Go ahead. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm just wondering on. out loud. I'm just wondering out loud. You know how it was for my mother when I changed because I'm the one that set the boundaries, and I was mm-hmm. obviously a lot younger than her, <laughs> and she was used to having right. things a certain way. In fact, she demanded they were a certain way. And when I came along after my father died, especially, and I was to be her caregiver, you know, I wouldn't give her everything she wanted. And I I learned how to say no. That must have infuriated her because she'd never, no one had ever done that, you know. So I'm just, I just had that thought and I just thought I'd throw it in there. Yeah. It never really, have you thought about it before? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I I know that... um, when when my father was ill, he died fairly quickly, in six months or something. My sister and I um, supported him and my mother, and then he went to the hospital and never came out. He did a, um, a hospice and took maybe two weeks, and then he was gone. And so my mother was then alone. He'd never lived alone before. <laughs> so... We, Jane and I, my sister and I, started traveling to Connecticut to their house to support my mother. She she was going through this huge grief, and she'd never lived alone before. And I spent quite a bit of time there, um, months there, to get her over the hump. And then eventually went back um, to California, and then my sister was designated as her helper. And I know that's because... My mother could still manipulate my sister in a way she could no longer manipulate me. And she wanted that. So she chose my sister as the one that was going to support her and, and so forth. And two years later, um, my sister had moved my mom down to um, down to Florida to live near her. Um, and they'd sold the condominium and all of that. My sister was there about two years and uh, my mother was there about two years, and my sister got cancer, and she died. <laughs> and I think Aww. it was the stress of whatever happened with mom, because my sister just could not understand, could not learn 
how to say no. Kept trying to teach her, but it didn't happen. So from then on, I was alone with my mom, and for the next several years, um, you know, she didn't have any choice. She couldn't. There wasn't anybody to fall back on, and I saw it happen. Yeah. You know, and I felt I felt for her, but I wasn't going to be dissuaded because it was a lot easier, a lot better for me that I upheld the boundaries that I decided I needed. And uh, you know, she was approaching ninety. She died at ninety-one, I think. Ninety-one. Um, and the last few years of her life, maybe two years of her life, she was in an Alzheimer's unit. But right up until then, she was pretty bright. And then two years before she died, she got Alzheimer's, you know. So I'm just, I was just thinking, you know, pretty uh, mean? I wonder, what? Did she get pretty mean when she had Alzheimer's? Uh, she, um, when she got the Alzheimer's, no. She was she was already mean before that, but actually, I think the Alzheimer's let her um, let her calm down a little, or let her relax a little, or something. She lived in a full service senior care place for the last well, when she moved from Connecticut down to to uh, New, to uh, Florida, and that meant maybe eight years. I mean, my father had left. Plenty of money for her to have this really nice existence, but she was old. You know, she was getting older, <laughs> and um, yeah, she wasn't that she wasn't that uh, friendly at first. No, but um, <laughs> but that's when I started insisting that you know, no matter how she treated me, I was going to treat her a certain way, and she didn't like it. She wanted to be able to manipulate <laughs> me to act differently. You know. <laughs> Yeah. At all. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, I'm sorry you had to go through that. I know that's not an easy thing to go through. Having an uh, It's okay. My mother and father both they both lived pretty pretty long lives, and my father died at 85, and my mother at 90. So. Wow. Yeah, yeah you yeah. got some longevity there going. You could make it to 100. Yeah. Though. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not genetically related to him, so you can't go by that. <laughs> oh, okay. You can go by, <laughs> but you can go by, you know, how um, I was raised to kind of take care of myself to a certain degree. Yeah, and do that. Yeah. 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 I didn't know that you were adopted. I don't know. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Ever since I was born, I was adopted right away. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, I don't know. I was adopted at. I was adopted at three months old. So. Oh, yeah? Okay. Did you ever meet your biological parents at all? Or? No, but I no, I didn't. And I recently, well, within the last five or six years, decided I wanted to find my mother. I never had before. Yeah. didn't know who she was, didn't know my family, anything like that. And the upshot of the whole thing is, because there's a lot of detail to it that you don't need to know, I did find her. Uh Oh, and I, I found her through um, Ancestry and those and Twenty Three and Me those sites. Yeah. Um, and she had uh, she has already passed away. She had passed away in the late nineties, um, but she was uh, born in thirty three, and yeah, 
and, and lives through the. And she only got married late in life. So when she had me, she was it was out of wedlock, and uh, probably that's why she gave me up. I don't know, but um, she went to New York City to have me, had me in uh, women's hospital, which no longer exists, but uh, and um, and then gave me up for adoption to Catholic charities and. They found my mom and dad. So uh, I never had any of this information. Now I know that my uh, family was, a significant part of it was French-Canadian. And um, my grandfather came down from from Quebec to work in the uh, uh, rock quarry, rock quarries. And he, he worked in, uh, I think it was Vermont and Massachusetts in rock quarries. That's what he did for a living. And he met my grandmother uh, in New England. And so she was an American, and they married, and they had three girls. And my mom was the middle girl. So, um, yeah, I learned all kinds of stuff. And then I went to I went to one of the relatives, and I, uh, I announced that who I was. And at first he was very happy to hear from me. And then the next day, he didn't want to hear from me anymore. So I, I believe that he went and maybe shared that I'd come forward with one of his brothers or something or cousins, and um, he didn't want to upset the, the apple cart, that whatever they have. So he stopped me from communicating again. <laughs> but it is anger. And I even yeah. found a picture just recently for the first time. Uh, well, neat. Yeah. Do you look like her at all? Do you see the resemblance? <laughs> um, I'm not. I'm not unlike the family. I don't know. I didn't bother to get pictures of my male cousins or anything like that. Or, but, or, but um, I, I did see my grandfather and and uh, you know and and now my father, who is unknown, uh, probably was Eastern European, like Poland or, I don't know, you know, one of those countries over there, because there's a significant uh, block of my DNA that belongs to the the Western, I mean, the Eastern uh, block, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so it could be, you know, Bosnia, it could be whatever. But, but I have a significant amount of that Syrian um blood in me and, and chromosomes in me, and it does not come from my mother's side. So that's the only thing I know. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. neat. <laughs> I think so. Great that you found it. Yeah. yeah. Neat story. But I had never <laughs> I had never worried about it. You know, I'd, I'd never concentrated on it uh, ever. Yeah. And... Um, you know, I obviously I always knew I was adopted, but I never, I never did a huge search for my parents until um, just recently. You know, and I did it. I waited till after my mother died, frankly. So uh, she would, she didn't ever know. She didn't know that I was doing NASCA, and she didn't know that I was that I had found my parents, my mother, and I didn't want her to know. Oh, yeah. I didn't want to upset her. Yeah. You'd already started NASCA. Then as well. When she got the Alzheimer's is when I started NASCA. 
because oh, really? I wanted to go public. Okay. And, of course, I obviously went very public. <laughs> I didn't know it would be this public. But, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I had told my story and so forth before, but I'd never never really had a platform like this. So I created a platform like this. Didn't know it was going to end up <laughs> what it was. And in the doing, yeah. um, in, in doing so, um, I waited until, as I'd always said, I'd seen how they reacted when I told them my story, my uh, abuse story. And it just shocked them. And my father almost had a heart attack. And so, so we never talked about it after that, almost never. And I, I determined that I was not going to bring it up in front of them or let them know about it. So I just kept quiet until, as they say, my father was gone and my mother got Alzheimer's and I, <laughs> and I launched a website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for doing that, though. I mean, you've helped so many people, and you really have been. Uh, I hope so. I sure hope so. Yeah. You have been. And it was, I think, most of our first places to tell our stories. So, I mean, just giving us that platform and making us feel comfortable. Well, that's Huge. it. That's exactly it. Make people feel comfortable and give it them a platform. That's it. That's yeah. that's all NASCA is about, really. You know, yeah. and give them, and of course, so there's a lot of advice giving and so forth, and many uh, uh, resources and so forth that aren't us necessarily, but that we, you know, recommend. But it really comes down to the fact that I, I know that people who suffer trust people who suffer in the same way. And I know this from my AA and my, you know, so forth. That once you get, you tell your story, they're gonna t- they're gonna tell you some of their story back. Well, it's the same thing with child abuse. And um, so I just had to I just had to create a place where it was safe, you know, and um, yeah. and have uh, not rules but uh, well boundaries. Group boundaries. boundaries that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That 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 nobody got hurt. Through, you know. So yeah. anyway, I'll, I'll shut up now. I've said too much. <laughs> no, you haven't. <laughs> I love having <laughs> you on, Bill. <laughs> you do. But we could go to the panel and we could see if Lori has anything that she would like to contribute. Um, Are you there, Lori? Yeah, I was. Listening. I was listening to you know with the kids and the teenagers and whatnot, and then I realized. That I didn't have that problem because my son was born handicapped and we had to put him in such bad places that he saw me as a rescuer. So there was a really close bond that that we had. Um, I never really asked anything of it. He seemed to know. know, He was just kind of grateful for, you know, what I told him about my past. Which isn't a lot. I didn't want him to know. I still don't. Um, it was like almost like we talked like adults, you know, that kind of thing. So up until you know this move and the pressure from the move, we weren't really like fighters. Uh, we were just always getting along pretty much. You know, we knew what we had to do. We knew to stay away from each other when we had to stay away from each other. Because he is very moody, but I accept him like that, you know. I figure if God gave him to me, I should handle him. That's the way I think. 
So I'm I'm a little odd as to the way to bring up kids. Um, Hi. Am I worried? A little. Odd. <laughs> a little odd. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm different. I'm different. <laughs> have my kid. Have my kid in the motorcycle, but you know magazines and well, I did that stuff. Okay, but like at home. <laughs> with teachers, with school, with, with you know the family members and whatnot, I had wondered was I going to be able to do it coming from where I did, and I had just decided that anything they did, I did the opposite, and it worked. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the only way it did work. But then a time comes by, say I'm not divorced. I actually live with my, uh, I don't even know what to call them because we're not officially divorced, but we share a house because we have to have his all our income together to keep my son home. Otherwise, he would have to go into a facility. So mm-hmm. most of my life with him, I thought I was protecting him by not fighting, not con- not redoing what my husband came from, what we came from and all that. And I found out at the end it didn't work. It just didn't work. It it kind of depends on what other people put in and what other people tell people they don't even know about you. You know, apparently I'm some big, you know, bully who does this, that, and next thing, and you find out that, you know, heck, people weren't even born when they're telling us, don't let my son hear this, because he knows me in a different way. So... The relationship, he is, he does get on my nerves. You know, he does get on my nerves. I wish I could tell him, you know, go find another home to live in. You know, you don't like it here, go away. We um, all have our moments. <laughs> but I bounce off of him. The only way I, I was able to keep him home was basically I had to become second. You know, I worked around him all this time. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have too much of that teenage stuff going on that other people do. I just had the husband thing going on, you know, that other people do, but I couldn't get rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> so we definitely had a strange setup. <laughs> this new house I'm yeah. moving to, it's got, like, three living rooms, one for each of us, three kitchens, three bathrooms, it's like the closest oh, I could wow. come to divorce, but being in the same place. My son wants us in the same place. So that's why, you know, I play, I'm 65 already. I'm not, I'm not about to get divorced and start all over and do all that kind of crap. So, you know, he knows he helps me with my medical, but he can't wait till he doesn't have to help me with my medical. So I don't know if that's a closeness or I'm just getting on his nerves. He, he doesn't have use for <laughs> older people or if they're sick and what. He, he, he's an interesting person. He's, right, he's got a sense of humor like you wouldn't believe and an intelligence. And he's into like a lot of the things I'm in. So we're more like friends. That's how to describe us. It wasn't like a mother-son, although I made the decisions for him, you know, with doctors and whatnot. But with him, I just kept having to build him up and work around him so I could keep him home. 
that's what I spent, you know, his whole entire life on. You know, trying to talk to him was hard. He didn't talk to us till he was 15. And he said because he was so smart, he didn't think we would understand him. And he was right. I didn't understand him. <laughs> half, the, half the time now, I mean, he talks to me in genius language, and, and I'm just, like, barely holding on. But I, I sit with him, you know. We have art in common and other things in common. So as dysfunctional as we are, we've remained the same. I haven't repeated. That's all I can say is I haven't repeated. And I repaired and interceded when I had to. You know, but kids flip, you know. They can believe what they want. They they don't believe what they want. How much is something told? And I don't tell. I don't tell. My son doesn't know anything about my background. You know, I don't need him picking up my anger and, you know, doing other stuff. He's got his own problems. So, um, I think for what I got handed, I think I did okay. I do. I do, too. You know, knowing your oh. story, I think you did, too. Thanks, so. Uh, that wasn't easy, what you had to do, what you were presented. Still not. No, it's, well. it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. I mean, I, I live with the fear after. Since he attacked me, I live with the fear that he's going to kill me one day. I honestly do. So I try mm. to keep it pleasant, you know, with him and stay out of his way and go around him like I've always been. But if I get old and sick where I need doctors, he doesn't think people should be alive if they're old and sick. I can see him putting me out of my misery, definitely. You know, but I had to adapt to him. You know, he gets his thing going. I find him to be like, he's a pleasant kid, but with this ADHD, he'll be in the middle of a sentence and walk away. And then, uh, you know, it's kind of embarrassing. It's like kind of rude. But I taught him the right way. It's just what he picked up, you know, because they're, they're him. And they have father there. Uh, what am I going to do? It's like having, being divorced and having the husband trash you, but they're actually living in the house. So, yeah, I haven't met anybody like me. All I know is I made it five years more than the doctor, so it's my higher power wants me here. My job just isn't done until I get it right. That's what I want to leave him with, you know. I want to leave him self-sufficient. Set up in a house, something where, you know, when his seasons come, he'll know what to do without me. You know, do it on his own is going to be very hard. But I hope I can do something in heaven from him, for him. I really do. You know, I try to send him financially. I do all my embroidery pieces, and he'll be selling them when he needs extra money and whatnot. There's only so much a parent can do for a kid. You want to, but the reality is only so much because the kid's the kid. So I just hope that he learned from me, you know, the good stuff he learned and whatever bad stuff he learned from that he can get rid of, you know, and then become his own person. But that you worry about kids like mine, like 
Where do they go? I don't want them in a group home. I don't want them locked up. He's not going to be able to survive on his own, that kind of stuff. So my my goal and my whole goal in life with him wasn't as a typical mother, you know, setting boundaries for him. Um, my only boundary was, you know, I would tell him, I said, David, if you kill somebody, you're going to go to jail, so don't kill somebody. This is the way I have to talk to him because of his illnesses and stuff. It's pretty wild. Uh, you get you get what you get. Will he you be know, able? If he, yeah, you know, he be able to take care of himself? Oh God, I pray. I pray. That's all I can do is pray that he can take care. We're moving because of him. Uh, he has a. It's called hyperacusis, where he has no ear flap, and sound goes directly to his brain, which really hurts. And it got too noisy here, so I moved him on to just about a mountain. You know, so that should quiet his nerves down. You know, I have to play it by ear. I don't know. This kid has so many surprises um, that every day almost, you know, I'm, I'm finding out more and more. It's, you know, what he tells me and how I accept it. I don't, I don't fight for him with him. That's the biggest thing. Don't fight with the kid, otherwise I'm going to get hurt. And I already know that, so I'm going to avoid it. So I don't live like a normal person. Um, yes. You know, I, I, nothing about my life is normal. But I'm still here. So whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it right. Yeah, that's how I deal with my kid. Yeah, I know that's not an easy thing, Lori, because I have a cousin in Arkansas who has a, a son who has autism really bad, and they had to finally put him in a home, but it's been really good for him. He's actually done really good, so, it, you know, it's a good place. So that's a good place to hear. To do that, but, yeah. So I'm Just none of the places. There. None of the places that I've had my son in has not abused him. None of them. And this physical picture yeah. of what they did to him. So when they told me to give him up at six years old and lock him in a, you know, a high, um, a high risk place, I don't know, upstate or whatever, yeah, I turned around and I says, "You think I'm going to give up my son?" I was like, "No, this is." Uh, I'll take him. I'll take him. And they would tell me, you know, he's got a such an explosive temper that one day he's going to kill you. And I'm like, he's not going to kill me. But as I get older and stuff, that could happen. It could happen. But that's the would be the plan for my life. I don't have a plan. My higher power's got my plan. I can only do what I think is right. But I know I don't have control. You know, over everything and what I want. You know, some things just aren't going to happen. I could just set well, things up. None of us really do. Yeah, you set things up. It's and awesome. if the kids, you don't want to use them and whatnot, they do. Yeah. yeah, they do. Thank God I only have one kid. Um, I mean, sad, it's sad that I lost two, but <laughs> the reality of oh, it, if I had you. two more kids. 
if I had two more kids like him, I would have been in a, in a psych ward somewhere myself because there would be no way I could handle it. No way at all. So that's my life. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I know that I know it's not an easy path to raise a child that has special needs. And it sounds like you're doing a really good job. Like oh, thank you. Oh, anyone you else want to say anything or comment on you hear me? <laughs> yeah. Yes, Philip. Can you hear me? Well, I hope that you can wish me luck because I'm about to call my abusive father on the telephone. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Is it something that you just need? You feel like it needs to be done right now. Talk to him about something. Well, I've been trying to talk to him recently because my life's better when I talk to him. Yeah. It is better. Yes. Talk to him. Yeah. Because he can make your life hard. Well, not recently, but he did in the past. Yeah, we can all send you positive thoughts and prayers and hugs and everything and just stand up for yourself. I think that's something that we as survivors really need to understand and we need to, you know, apply that. We need to stand up for ourselves. Don't let them manipulate you. Thank you for sharing. What's that? Oh, yeah, no problem. Thank you for sharing about that. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to share? Well, I look forward to the show because it's kind of my support system for now. Good. Well, I think it's great that you've been coming around and listening at least and occasionally making comments. And today's comment was great. Um. You know, we consider you part of the NASCA family, whether you whether you believe it or not. <laughs> and um, we'd love you to continue to come around the way you're doing. And, you know, when you feel like it, when the spirit moves you, you, know, you can add your two cents. But we, let me just say to the audience that's listening that uh, you don't have to be uh, verbose. You don't, you don't have to be um, uh, astute, nothing. You know, you have to be a person who is... Um, interested in, in resolving the child abuse issues that they have. And that's what we all have. And uh, we're all the same in that sense. We're all, we're all faced with the trauma that came from the child abuse that we experienced, and we're here to help each other. So I hope that people that are listening tonight can call in uh, on occasion. It's the same number all the time, which is 646-595-2118. And if you call in that number, we'll see you show up on the call the studio, <laughs> and um, you know we'll we'll welcome you to the show. And you can you don't have to talk, uh, but we would love it if you would. It's a great place to share, and you know what? Sharing with other people who are like-minded and have similar experience—that's how you heal. That's how you heal. So please do call in and take advantage of this. 
Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Philip. Of course, Philip. Hey, Philip, how best, this is Penelope, how best can we support you, you know, with what you just shared? Well, I've been rejected a lot, so the best thing to do is just allow me to call into the show. Oh, yes. Well, absolutely. Yeah, you're always welcome. We're glad you're here. (laughs) We're always glad you're here. All right. So, Philip, have you ever told your story, though? Or did you no, just start calling me? Well, whenever you're ready, we would all love to support you in that way. So, but it doesn't have to be anytime soon or whenever you're ready. I'll think about it whenever I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah, whatever you're ready. Right. You just let us know, and we'll we'll hook you up on a night. <laughs> Has anybody tried to track not our parents that abuse us, but our grandparents that abuse them? Has there been any kind of information? That you can pick, I mean, I can pick up that my grandparents abused my mother. So is there like a general um, curiosity among people to find out where their parents or whoever they took care of, you know, took care of them, if it happened to them, or they're just mean people? Oh, Lori, that's I've had that curiosity. I've had that curiosity. Like where they came from. (laughs) I pick up things as a kid, and they don't think that kids pick things up. But by a child, I knew that my mother was molested by my my grandpa. I just knew it. And I, I turned out to be right. But I picked up, and I pretty much pegged everybody in the house. You know, as to why and what. You look for answers. Like, like what, what went wrong and where did it go wrong? So, yeah, I was wondering if anybody else did that. Yeah, this is I, I, that, I know it's... that... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, <oops. laughs> we all started. Well, I did, I did that, but I... I I didn't do it too deeply, but and and I didn't do it long long time ago. I did it fairly recently that I really sat down and considered where my parents had come from and why they had turned out the way they were. And you know they both had rough lives. Now they didn't, they didn't talk about child abuse back in those days so much as you know um, it was just a hard it was a hard life. You know uh, my father's family had 13 in it and he was the oldest boy and uh the oldest girl his his sister um went into the nunnery <laughs> at 16 or 17 and she, she became a nun and stayed that the whole like till she was 102 she just recently died and um my mother um had a, a father who passed away he was in a wheelchair for a while don't know how that started, but once she did pass away, 
they were left with no father and no man in the house. So my my sister, I mean my mother's sister, was older, uh, and her husband, who was an attorney, um, took over some of the caregiving or the attention giving to my mom, and then eventually my dad when he came into the picture. But you know, it's just <laughs> my mother. I think uh, you know later had the experience of losing three children or two children. Uh, and you know, with preemies, and then a fourth child, a third child, as a um, you know, two as two as miscarriages and one as a preemie, and uh, none of them survived. Uh, so that's when they, you know, told her to go get me. So anyway, all these things they do create, you know, psychological reasons for a person ending up the way they are. Like I think my mother, you know, got my sister and I under her wing. But maybe because maybe she resented the fact that we represented children that she couldn't have. What I, I was thinking, you know, uh, and you know, you, you don't know. But they, nobody has a, a smooth life. Nobody, you know. My my father's children. I mean, my father's siblings. Nine of them were boys, and four were girls. There was a girl at the beginning and a girl at the end, so the two girls in the middle. Of the of the nine boys, they, they um, I think six of them served in World War II at the same time. Could you believe it? <laughs> and uh, yeah, this is, this is the kind of lifestyle they they lived, uh, which we don't experience. We don't experience that. We think about it, but you know, we don't know what that was really like. And I don't know how much it would have affected me, but. Um, you know, there were different sets of rules, too. The, the men did certain things. The women did certain things. There was a lot of concern about crossing those boundaries, sex-wise, um, and also uh, ethnically-wise, you know, was uh, all these issues that had come up. And I don't know how much effect they had on every individual thing, but I know they had a, a pretty significant effect because they shaped my mom and shaped my dad. And then you said that you had a sister as well. They adopted her girl as well. Did that again? You were the only two in your family, you and your sister? Yeah, you weren't allowed to have more than two in the New York City uh, system uh, when you were adopting (laughs) at the time. Oh really? Uh, yeah, it was a rule because there were there were too many people looking for children, uh, so they they allowed two at a time. If you were in the city limits, anyway, two uh, two children. So I came along, and then a year later, my sister came along, and that was that. Um, but we had a nice we had a four person family, so it wasn't bad. Yeah. Yeah. We know, Lori, it's Penelope. I think that's a really great question, you know, that you um, post to the panel and, and to, you know, all because I've actually had to piece together bits and, you know, bits of information that I've picked up. But that's the whole thing about, and Bill mentioned some of it's generational, but that's the whole thing about, you know, keeping all, all the abuse secret, right, the secrecy. Because it enables, you know, the abuse to continue through generations. And 
you know, when I started doing my own work, I was very curious too. I was very curious. The more I went into doing the work and going into therapy and really, you know, bringing out all these things that had happened. Um, and of course, you you get the context of how, I mean, I can tell you, you know, severe the the maltreatment was um, that I was um, that I experienced. Um, so I was aghast and I was almost in shock, you know, as I went through this process. And then I was very curious, you know, about why. And so that does, you know, you start looking at the lineage and um, the family tree and, and generationally. And so um, I had, you know, the secrecy is really hard to, you know, it's hard to get the truth. It's hard to get all the facts because of the, the lack of, um, discussion um and the secrecy is always at least on both sides of my family was always paramount so i just took little bits and pieces here and there things that i remembered um and you know now i can look and say wow you know there was severe abuse you know on my father's side um there was also some on my mother's side but extreme but it was just it was secret um so anyway to answer your question my father passed away um, suddenly about five and a half years ago. So there's some things I'll never know. Um, but, and I've had to just accept that, um, that some things I will never know because um, he died with so many secrets. But, um, you know, I now know that it was very, very severe. And um, it would made me more determined to do the work that I'm doing because it's so important to stop that cycle, you know, once I became aware of, how far back it went. So thanks for for bringing it up because I think, you know, actually Lisa Zirconi, Zirconi said this once, Zircone, I, I never know how to pronounce her last name correctly, but sometimes getting the facts and getting the truth, you know, being curious, being the facts helps you to build compassion too. Um, and, and so I have, I have some more understanding and even at times compassion because I realized my mother suffered. My father suffered as well. Even though they continued on the cycle, I, I, I have compassion because of, you know, knowing some of the facts that I know. So thank you for bringing it up. Yeah, you're very welcome. You answered it really well. Thank you. Yeah, I just wonder, I'm like, they do it, and they don't even realize they're doing it. They pick out favorites, like when the grandkids, and you're wondering what's wrong with you that this, your grandmother doesn't like you. And yeah, I, I've been tracking since I was a little kid. I noticed everything, you know, and I, I eventually did get my answers. I'm glad I didn't know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, half my grandparents were from Russia, so you don't get too much information in general from them. I mean, I only saw a picture of my great, it would be my great grandfather one time. But no stories from there. No, it's like there's a big hole in me. I don't know where it came from. I don't know what it was like. And it just, nobody talks. That's what it comes down to. Nobody talks. I guess they assume you know. I didn't know. Didn't know at all. And I think my sister knows less than I do. Yeah. 
I think I think that was um, one of the characteristics that our parents were brought up with. You don't talk. You know, you just don't share. And so much of it then becomes secret. Yeah. They they were not accustomed to, you know, to um, revealing anything. They were supposed to be stoic, I think. And uh, at least this is this is my per- perception in my family. Um, and the uh, that was that is not a good uh, formula, as as all of us here on this panel know. That's not a good formula for staying healthy. You know, it's a horrible formula. You know, to, to keep everything to yourself. I learned about family secrets that I couldn't. I can't believe still that I I know them. <laughs> um, I think every family has them. Every family has them. You know, uh, so. You do the best you can with what you're given, and you know I think uh, once you're on a road of recovery, you you have an opportunity anyway to get to push past um, you know whatever limited amount of information you got from your folks and start expanding your own experience. Uh, that's just my thinking. Yeah, the next generation. I found out they pass down the worst stories about you. I said, because I I left the family when my son was on. But my son uh, and husband reunited with my uh, Uh niece. And they're still telling these horror stories about me to people I don't even know. I'm like, you you spend so much time with me, and I'm not like that. Why would you tell somebody I'm, I'm, I'm like that? You know, it's like, doesn't make sense. And make up your own mind, you know, your own experiences with me. Don't don't listen to anybody else. That's the way I do it. I says, people come with your own baggage, you know, I'll teach you all I know on the good side, but I won't bring you the anger from who hates who, you know, that goes through the family. That, that part I leave out. I think it's better for the kids. So here's a question. Um, do you have an obligation, though, to expose a perpetrator within a family if you suspect that uh, the conduct goes beyond one person? For example, my mother many, many years ago said, and I'll, I'm going to make up, I'm going to, this is a real uh, true comment that she made, but I'll, I will not um, disclose his real name. He's no longer alive, and I never met the man. But, okay, so Uncle Caesar, um, and again, my mother discloses to me many, many, many years ago, many years ago. Well, he used, Uncle Caesar used to put me, this is my mother talking, on his lap when I was a young girl, and he would, you know, touch me inappropriately. And then she calls off and she said, "Never mind, we don't, you know, but, but I'm not, don't t- don't say anything, you know. We don't we don't talk about that." Now he was already dead, but that was going through her mind. So obviously, Uncle So and So would put little girls, little nieces on his lap and molest them. Clearly, and this happened to my mother. But you know, her immediate reaction here: she's a grown woman, and I was I don't know, I was maybe my teenage years. 
I thought it was odd that she said that. I sort of dismissed it in my mind, like you were asking the question, Lori. But, of course, I was going through my own healing and my own, you know, um, bringing out those those um, experiences that I'd repressed for so long because I never spoken about them. Um, and I was, you know, molested by a family member. All, you know, I then also recalled my mother telling me that. So my question is, if we feel fear that someone's conduct like that Uncle Caesar affected other people, do we have an obligation to break that silence and expose that person? Better or alive? Definitely. Definitely. I did yeah. it with my niece when she was born into my father, the pedophile's house, and he told me what he had in store for her. And I broke the silence. Everybody in that family heard what happened in there. So, so they say, no, it's Lori, she's crazy. And they had the advantage of uh, my father, who was, he was basically handsome. He was very sociable, played different instruments. Everybody, and he flirted. So none of them believed that he had the other side to him of what was on the inside of the house. Oh, it just goes on. It goes on. And all I did was sit there, you know, basically, and there was nothing I could do about me because I didn't have a mother that was in my uh, field um, of anything. All I I could do was make sure that my sister wasn't attacked by him, um, uh, you know, sexually. So I was like the guard I ended up to be the guard. And the other, my brother, he went the other way. My sister turned into a druggie. So I don't get any of it. I honestly don't get any of it. The person with the easiest life, where everything was handed to her, you know, does some stupid things. And it's to the point where I kicked her out of my life ten years ago. And uh, I won't let my son meet anybody of them. I'm a little overprotective, but I don't think that his cousins being in jail would be a good influence on him. So we we don't bother with certain people. But it's just weird the way I know something happened and I have to pull teeth to get it out. But I'm relentless. I don't stop. So I I try to follow the road. And then it makes sense to me, and then I'm fine. I go on to the next thing. Well, well thank you. Because I feel, thank you for that question, because I feel like we have to say something. I I believe it's pervasive. I don't, I don't in terms of if, if that uncle must have my mother, and there were other young girls, namely my mother's younger sister. There were cousins around that age that were exposed to him. You know, I mean, he had opportunity with them. I think I think it needs to be known. I think it needs to be known so those people can address it and heal. I've even kept a watch on my neighbor's kid. Honestly, they've had a uh, at their parties. There was this one guy who was too handsy with one of the girls. And uh, I followed them wherever they were, and I watched. 
um, if he was too, you know, too much, too cost, I would tell him to leave her alone, you know. I, I never trusted the guy. And I'm like, you people, I'm telling you what he's doing to your daughter here, and you're ignoring me. And that's because they're all, you know, smashed, so they don't care. So I became the guard at the parties, make sure that he didn't get on, you know, he didn't touch it. I know how to pick these things up. And, like, even in the schools, I know what to look for, for the way the kid interacts with other kids. You know, you could tell where they come from, how they are, and, you know, who's the quietest, who's who's the angriest, who's the angriest, and who is not talking to their parents. And that's the section that you find out in school. Well, my hand going up in the last couple of things you said, the angriest and the not talking to their parent. <laughs> Definitely. You know, I, I didn't know how to get out of what I was involved in. And this is what, even in my late teens when, you know, basically the abuse that was behind me, but not the trauma. The trauma was inside of me. And, you know, I didn't know how to deal with it. So, I, you know, one of the things that I did was I got angry. And another thing that I did was I did not share with my parents or anybody else what was really going on. Because the first time I tried to do that, um, the man who I told was a was a pedophile himself. And, uh, you know, a priest and a pedophile, don't that's not a good mixture. Uh, so, but, but my hand went up when you said anger and <laughs> not sharing. <laughs> For sure. Sure. You know what's annoying is that when you do share with this one person, who's my niece, she tells uh, me that my she read pieces of my story. She says, "Well, she wasn't there to witness it, and it can't be because he, he didn't treat me like this." I mean, you know, I'm going to be loved by the people I love. I don't need you. Da da da. You know the whole bit. <laughs> I said, "I don't care." I says, your daughter's old enough now. I says, um, I don't understand how you could let happen to her what you let happen to her. She didn't change. She's the repeater. And her daughter, I can tell, is still going down the line. This is, I believe there's a time that it has to stop. And yeah. once everybody just puts every all the cards on the table there, have their heart-to-heart talk, you move forward. That's how it's done. The secrets do nobody any good. Because you're actually, your reaction to other things is because of the secrets. You're not even you. You're so worried about, you know, covering this one's butt and, you know, not saying this one. You get lost in the middle and nothing really good comes out of it. I'm just like, Get it out in the open. You want to work on it. You go to a therapist of some kind. We work it out, and then we keep moving on. You know, years are going by. Don't waste them. Use them. Well, you know, um, wow. How do I say this? My, um, like I said, my folks were came from an era when you just didn't talk. They didn't talk to each other much less talk to us. I knew knew nothing about life growing up because I was not taught it. 
And um, when I went to school, you know, I kind of extended the distance between my parents and me by myself. I mean, I designed it. <laughs> you know, I went to school that was 600 miles away and, you know, maybe an hour flight or something. And so I could get home, like, for Thanksgiving and stuff, but I, I, I never got home on weekends or anything. And that's the way I wanted it. So, so then my, um, my first year prefect was the one that um, he was a psychologist, doctor of psychology. He, um, and a priest, of course, and he heard my confession, he heard my story, and I uh, thought, oh, I'm getting help, thank God I'm getting help. And instead, he, it turned out he was uh, uh, in, interested in me too, and he came after me. And that really hurt, because I thought I'd found somebody who you know, could help, and they, they went the other direction. So now I've risked this and lost, you know, I, I risked, telling my story, and it was taken advantage of. So that's where the first two years of high school, that was going on, and I was kind of running away from him and other people. And my last two years of high school, when I went back, junior, senior year, I, that's when I got angry. And I wasn't letting anybody near me, you know, and they could tell. So, um, you know, it worked as a tool for a while. Um, and when so I went to college, I just... When I went to college, I drowned myself. That's all, you know, in booze, in beer, and then eventually pot and so forth. Uh, I think that might have been the best thing that can be done at that point. You know, you've got to numb it sometime or other. Otherwise, you're going to go nuts. You know, I mean, I, there's a time to start, you know, like dissociating. I mean, like my sister, she started smoking weed. She was in the, her teenage years. She was selling in the schools. And I didn't know this till later in her life. I didn't know anything about her. But, um, yeah, you you got to do something. Uh, you can't just sit by and let time go by and still have the questions not answered. It's not doing you any good. It's stunting your growth. You know, mm. we can. You got to heal more. Everybody has to heal more, and it doesn't mm. stop. It doesn't stop. I had read um, paperwork when I was first on Nazca. It was like seven years ago. I was going through all my paperwork, and I can honestly tell you, I am a different person. You know, than when oh, I yes. started. Oh you yes, know. you are. <laughs> You're the miracle we all keep talking about. <laughs> yeah, I don't I get it. I I don't get it. You know, I I listen mostly be I listen mostly because of my speech, honest, honestly and truly. You know, there's a lot of oxygen every week, and there's always the recovery part, and it always involves getting my speech to sound like you know words. And I'm already like Hamburg. I got a Bronx, New York <laughs> accent and a few strokes. And I'm like, how am I going to do the show? I said, what happens if somebody doesn't understand me? Um, I listened, and I'm like, oh, my God. It gave me such a wake-up call. I do have an accent, and I do pronounce words differently. You know? 
But I was like to the point where I was like, you know, I don't think NASA cares. I don't think Bill cares that my Not at all. words aren't as clear as they used to be. Not at all. And plus I got noisier as I got older. Yeah, yeah. A lot. It's because we've been through more. You know, more to add to the education part. And that's what I told my niece. She says she's a therapist. I said, you might think you know everything right now. You graduated school. I said, but you need some years under your belt. You just have to live a little. And I really believe, you know, it's best. You you live a little, you give back at like 75, 80, whatever. And I think it's a good idea to do that. You know, there's questions everybody has. And I think they're entitled to the answers. I honestly do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I even found the answer to my my brother's demented head. <laughs> you know, he's the one who threw me out the two-story window. He's the one who choked me and crushed the front of my throat. And oh, you know, you know the whole story that to me. Towards the end of it, um, I realized, you know, they ignored. He was almost, another few hours, the doctor said he'd be dead because they literally starved him for three months. He was at his birth weight. So um, at the end of it, I told him, I know, Leonard, that I understand a lot about what you do, and I forgive you for all that, but I still won't not for choking me and throwing me out the window. You know, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't progress more. You know, it was after one of my NASCAR shows, the second NASCAR show. I wrote him a letter. So we do evolve on here. If I make it another five years, I'll be different again. You know, wisdom, wisdom counts big time. Oh, yeah. Wow. Keep evolving, don't we? So let me answer your question, Penelope. If I was in a family, because it didn't happen that way for me, but if I was in a family where one of the family members became known to me was a pedophile or, you know, a molester, um, would I, would I say anything? Yes, I would. And um, I would, I've all, always, all my life, gotten in front between the aggressor and the weaker person. I've done that all my life. And, you know, most of the time it, it, when I was younger, it was fist fights, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, take, well, let me, why don't you say the same thing to me kind of thing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. um, I was fairly effective when I was young and as a teenager and so forth. I don't think it would be the same now um, because now I know, that what they're doing is a, is an illegal act, you know, and I would probably hold them to that if I could. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, I don't believe um, in letting people, you know, slide on stuff like that because you're, you're talking about ruining lives, ruining lives. And that's not okay with me. Well, I completely agree. I completely yeah. agree. And I see this with Doc. These are heinous crimes. If they were tried for their crimes in court, it would be public record. But mm-hmm. we need we need to break the silence. And we I mean, 
we need to bring the truth to the forefront. You know, if my abusers wanted me to, you know, say different things about them, they should have given me different material. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, yeah, Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say honesty is the best way to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. Changing, it could be picked up. Just being honest, straightforward, they either like it, they don't like it, but they do have to accept it. It's part mm-hmm. of the heritage. You know, you can only do so much. You know, you didn't ask yourself to be put in those positions when those horrible things happen to you. You know, you put on this earth and that's just the way your life went. You know, you don't have to be ashamed of it. You don't have to be... Um, protective of their name, if you're going to mar their name. You have to do what you feel is right and to make yourself better because, you know, you always had a future. You know, it could be work, it could be, you know, sports, anything that you could do. I mean, we, we got the raw end of the stick. We got too many times we were, like, slow to catch up. To, I call it basically stunted. Because you're like in, you know, at the end of like, hey, I'm at the house. Now who I am, you know, who am I and what do I want to do and all that other. And most kids I know from when I went to school, they're, oh, I'm going to college. Oh, I'm going to college too. And I'm looking at them like, you know, there was no talk of anything like that for me and stuff. But I did discover that I was not the person they told me I would be. You know, and I honestly believe if I blew the whistle earlier, I would have been further along than I was. You know, too many years of hiding it. Mm-hmm. It has to stop. And it has to stop. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think so many of us, you know, want to still kind of, in a way, we still protect our abusers by not talking out. And I know I struggled with starting to, to open up as well just because one of my abusers is still alive. And and I just think, gosh, it would have been so much easier. I wouldn't have had to worry about it if I just would have waited till he passed away. But it wasn't the right time. I mean, it was the right time for me to start talking. So that's what it is. Well, and Kim, I think especially if they're still alive. I mean, we talk about prevention all the time. I mean, can we right. really, you know, guarantee right. that behaviors change? Um, I think if if there's a known a known abuser that's alive, I think that around, you know, within our within the families or even outside the families. I mean, this is part of prevention. I mean, as a responsible parent, would I allow my children to be, you know, um, in the company or taken care of? a pedophile or someone who's abusive? Absolutely not. It's not okay. And I, I wouldn't do it. And I would, I would not, you know, allow my children to be exposed um, and vulnerable to that person. And this is why, you know, even within families, we need to speak up and we need to say something because these things are secret and they're hidden. And so children are at risk. And this is a prevention piece that we talk about at NASCA. I think this is very important. 
agree. Yeah, if something feels wrong in the in your stomach and the pit of your stomach, it's wrong. Yeah. You, you know, once you've been through the worst, you pick it up real quick and say, "No, this ain't right." You know, so something something changes. That's how it goes. That's true. That's very true. The thing very, that, very get, that gets me is that you know you think you have control over your life, and it turns out you really don't. You know things you can't control but there are so many things that they steer you into like other places I mean, maybe 10-15 years ago did you picture yourself being you know the host of the show you know it just came down your path and this is what you were supposed to do see so you just keep going and what the kids see ones that know what you're doing and you know, the story and whatnot, they see you in a, a better eye, you know, a better eye than somebody who had all the stuff done to them and were reacting their adult life mostly as the person, you know, who hasn't gotten fixed. They they wasted their whole lives, you know, doing that. You know, it's spotting it if something doesn't feel right, talk about it, if they need therapy, you get them in therapy, you withdraw them. I mean, a lot of the gangs and all the stuff, that's where I'm still living, but it's like you have to get out on your own and you do what, you know, is inside you to do. And that's the one thing that the kids today, they don't understand that. They think they have to be in groups, either gangs or whatever, and they all have to do the same thing. And you know, times have changed, but we can talk more to the kids this time around. Before there was there was no conversation going on at all. And so things have changed; they've improved, but they need to be improved more. You know, people actually have to step up, no matter how comfortable uncomfortable it is for them. They have to do it. There's a constant flow of new of new victims, which I don't see stemming. You know, uh, there'll always be work for us to do, and it's you know it's significant still today, like it was 20 years ago. <laughs> it's there's a lot of work to do, so there's no question that we have um, things that we can contribute to that make us, you know, give us an opportunity to grow because we need that to grow, and we're not stagnating when we're growing. So. That's I think really important to understand. You can't you can't sit still and grow. You know, you have to get to move and grow somehow. Well thanks very much for doing this show, ladies. You did a great job. Right. Really. Thank you. Yeah, it was a great conversation. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm glad Philip came on. Uh, he's been with us for a while now, but he wouldn't talk before. So I'm glad great. he's coming along. Great. <laughs> Thanks. You're very welcome. You're just, no, we're, we're here. We'll be here. Yeah, it has been a great night. And thank you, Bill, for coming on, too. Oh, of course. Good we evening. may do the same thing or a similar thing on Friday because we're having a problem with that guest, too, so... Uh, but we're, I don't know. I'm not. I, I'm not uh, negative about it, but it's possible. Anyway, 
it, we've just shown with today's show that, you know, we can get a good show on the air regardless of whether we have a special guest or not. And I really appreciate everybody's oh, yeah. contribution. So. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks, everyone. I'm glad that you were here tonight and you're a part of our panel. And feel free to call back anytime. And if you are listening in, um, you know, feel free to call us. We are anything to say. We are on stand number 3103. And as our friend Penelope says, there are enough eyes and ears and adults out there to watch out for all children. So please, if you see something, please say something. And let's keep our children safe. Good night, everyone. Have a great evening. Good night, everybody. Good night, and thank you. Good night. Another tomorrow Cause that's gone away